0: Welcome to the program. Tonight, uh, we uh, talk about addictions as we do the first Thursday of every night after 1015. Joining me will be best-selling author David Essel. I want to talk about, uh, all, well, basically all addictions, but the impact on relationships. Like what should a partner be aware of? How much responsibility belongs to Uh, to them? What about their needs? What are some of the boundaries and consequences that should be out there? So if you struggled or you have a partner who struggled with addiction, you'll want to listen in. And and this really applies to all kinds of addiction, but we do focus a little bit on sex addiction as well. But before we get to that,
1: let's take a look at the inbox. Make a connection anytime at 514-800-
0: Remember that you can always email me your questions to laurie at com. Uh, how long does it take to be cleared of, a, of an STI? When is it safe to resume having sex? That's a great question, and I'm not 100% sure of the answer. The only thing I could tell you is when you're uh, diagnosed with the... Many of the STIs, of course, are treatable, treatable through antibiotics, so if your antibiotics, if the course of the antibiotics is say 10 days, then uh, I would say abstain uh, until the course of antibiotics is gone. So you'd have to check with the doctor because I'm not sure of each one if there's if they're different uh, for each one of the sexually transmitted uh, infections. so, uh, also be aware that sometimes you can get tested, and like for HIV, for example, you have to get tested three months. The first three months, uh, like within the three months, then again and after three months. Uh, so sometimes it doesn't show up until the second uh, set of testings. So uh, stay safe and and keep using condoms, nonetheless. Is there a female Viagra and how does it work? This is a question often asked by women. It's something that the pharmaceutical industry has been chasing down, trying to come up with some pill to increase female desire. So just to be clear, Viagra for men has nothing to do with desire and everything to do with arousal, meaning that that drug simply pumps blood into the penis, but the person has to be aroused already. So if a woman took Viagra, Uh, it wouldn't do anything for her libido either. What it would do and it could do is just increase, uh, the blood flow to the clitoris and, and, and the vaginal area. That's it. But that she would still have to be aroused in order for that uh, system to get into play. So there has been one medication out there, and it's been in the works for many years. I personally, when I look at what's happened to this medication, it took a nosedive. I knew it would. Um, So they had to find a drug that affects women's brains not like if you think about sexual desire sexual desire is based on context it's based on what goes on in the mind it isn't just a physical need or a a hunger For a a lot of women, it just doesn't work that way. So, there was a medication by the name of Filbanserin, which was then bought over by another company and then they changed the name to Addy. It was not available in Canada until very recently. I can only tell you what the facts are and what the studies have shown. Uh, So, it's a drug that you have to take every day. It's a drug that you cannot consume alcohol when on it because it's dangerous. It has uh, side effects like fainting and a whole bunch of other side effects that are included. And the results show that when women took this drug, women who said they had low desire, uh, that it only increased their number of sexual events. This is how they call them by 0.7. So it wasn't even a full sexual event. and that was per month. So 0.7 per month. So like, who's going to buy this? And and I'm not even sure it's covered by insurance. And so it didn't really do what uh, they thought it would. It wasn't the holy grail that they thought it would. I don't think it made them nearly as many billions of dollars as they thought it would. Not even close. So the, uh, bottom line is, n- no, nope, it doesn't work because you can't find a medication that switches women's brains off. Uh, but, uh, there have been studies linking now, we're seeing studies linking, uh, marijuana use to, uh, to orgasm and to arousal. But again, that's not really about sexual, uh, desire because f- Women's sexual desire is complicated. Period. It's just not that simple. Not that simple. Are there negative side effects to having sex on your period? So when you have sex on your period, first of all, sec, uh, many of these sexually transmitted infections uh, have to do with bodily fluids. So if somebody is having sex with you and you have an STI, uh, then the that that's a, a pretty major bodily fluid right there. So it couldn't put you at risk, could put the other person at risk. But there, if you're both, don't have any sexually transmitted infections, uh, the only thing you really have to worry about is the mess involved. So there's no, that's the, basically the biggest side, negative side effect. There are actually positive things to having sex on your period. Uh, what's been found is that women who have sex during a period have a reduced, the pain their menstrual cramps reduce, and we know that orgasm releases hormones that reduce pain. Uh, so that would be one of the uh, the pluses. so it's it's just a question of messiness really and how messy you want to uh, you want to get. So it's the ick factor for people that, that, that's about, uh, that's about it. Five one four eight hundred. if you have any questions that you want to share now, or if you think of them throughout the show, I'll answer them towards the end of the show. If you have questions for me, I'm happy to answer them at five one 800 Let's see, where are my other questions by email? This one, I am 44 years old. Uh, my lover accuses me of having sex with other guys uh, because my vagina is sometimes loose but I'm not sleeping with anyone. How can I make him believe me? How, I don't even know how to explain why my vagina is sometimes loose. Not all the time. Sometimes it's tight. Can you please explain this? So I'll explain it and I hope, um, he's listening. So there are two things going on here though, for me, there's the physiology of the vagina and the fact that your partner doubts your faithfulness so doubts has uh, trust issues with you but if we just look at the vagina for a moment uh, we know that the vagina is uh, muscle tissue a bunch of folded muscle tissue um, like a fist pretty much and the uh, two things cause the tissue to relax and open up like unclenching a fist uh one is childbirth. So of course as a baby passes through the the birth canal, the vagina has uh, can open up way big, right? And the other activity that causes the vagina to relax and open is sex with arousal. So when a woman is aroused, the vaginal tissues relax somewhat doesn't mean they become uh so loose but this has to do uh, mostly if it's sometimes and not always it has to do with the amount of time or the the amount of time you spend in uh foreplay so if uh you have like Uh, a quickie, for example, then your vagina doesn't have as much time to relax and open up. So it might feel tighter. So this is the part that's there. Uh, If the other thing too, is uh, there's a problem to me. Like if you explain this to your partner and he's still suspicious, then is he a jealous guy? Does he need help? Maybe you guys need help as a couple because there may be something much bigger going on. Uh, coming up, we'll talk about uh, addictions and its uh, impact on relationships with best-selling author David Essel. A safe place to work at the kinks in any relationship. With CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Addictions, uh, all addictions, uh, are uh, unfortunately more common than we, we'd like. And lots of people suffer the consequences of having a partner who is an addict. And I get it, the addict also suffers a lot of consequences. And there's a lot of pain all around, which is why we want to focus once a month on addictions. Just so we can reach people who need this kind of help. I know in my practice I see it a whole lot and it destroys uh, families and it destroys relationships or has the potential to destroy. Uh, so we want to be able to help you out 514-800 uh, to text in joining me tonight is uh, David Essel. He uh, is a regular here on passion. He's the best-selling author of positive thinking will never change your life. He is a counselor and master life coach. He deals with and helps people with all kinds of addictions, including eating, which I saw you have a, a new free seminar that you're offering David. Yes. Hey, Dr. Lori, great to be back with you. Always great having you on.
1: Thank you. Yeah. You know, we have all kinds of things. And, and in the world of addiction, one of the things, of course, food addiction is a huge one. Oh, but yes. one of the things that we have going on right now, Dr. Lori, that can help people, if you're the addict or you're the, the loved one of an addict, the parent, a husband or a wife, is that we have a brand new two-hour online video course called Focus that we're giving away for a limited time free, and we give it away because part of that course is on codependency. And as you and I talk tonight, I know there's going to be a lot of your listeners that might see themselves unknowingly as codependents in a relationship with someone who has an addiction. So the the video is great for addicts who are struggling, and it's great for their loved ones who are also struggling.
0: Right. So the term, if we want to go back, I'm glad you brought it up because the term codependency and the whole movement and understanding of that was actually born out of the study of addictions.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah. As a matter of fact, you know who I mean, the the person that brought it to the national scene, the public scene is Melody Beattie Mm -hmm. Um, when she wrote her book years and years and years ago, Codependent No More. Yeah. She wrote it because she was writing about her relationship with her husband, who was an alcoholic. And um, and codependency is so much bigger than just what you and I are going to talk about right now, but it's huge in the world of addiction. There are so many of us with good intentions that are enabling our children, our loved ones to stay stuck in addiction, and it's a hard road to follow because you have to make that choice. Am I going to enable them through my love to continue being an alcoholic, food addict, drug addict, or am I going to set boundaries with consequences, which is a very tough thing to do when you're engaged and in in love with or have someone you care about that's struggling with an addiction?
0: Absolutely. So let's talk about this enabling. How do partners enable uh, their addict partners? How do we do that? Whether whether our partner is addicted to food or sex or alcohol or, or drugs or any of that, How, what is that process of enabling? How would you describe it?
1: Lori, the, the easiest way to look at it is that we set boundaries without consequences. And what that means is we'll say to someone, you know, if you get drunk like that one more time, this relationship is over. If and But then we don't ever pull the plug. We don't have the, con- the consequences. The relationship ends, but we never do it. So we are codependent or enabling them to continue. If you have a child in high school or college that's an alcoholic or a food addict or a drug addict, and you say to them, you know, if I find you again stealing money from mom and dad in order to to fuel your addiction, we're taking the car away. But you don't take the car away. Those are examples of how we enable our loved ones to continue with their addiction.
0: So we'd often look at that as Uh, like using tough love, because when I speak to people about this and I, and I say the words, like, you have to let them crash. Yeah. That's the cringe. Like, that's a cringe worthy, you know, you see them like, I don't know if I can do that. Like, how do I watch my loved one crash and burn before they can take responsibility for themselves?
1: And, you know, Dr. Laurie, it comes down to this is always the answer. A month ago, uh, a mom called me from New York State. She has a son, 35 years of age, who's been an opiate addict on and off for the last 15 years. And she's put him in treatment centers. She's almost gone bankrupt, spending money on counselors, on therapists. And she called me and said, hey, my son has said he'd love to work with you. And this time he's serious and blah, blah, blah. And I said to her, and, you know, normally, Lori, when we do work, we we do a minimal of eight weeks. We don't work with anyone for less than eight weeks straight. And people pay the full amount in advance, which Mm -hmm. means they have skin in the game. And they're going to work harder when they pay up front.
0: Right.
1: So she said to me, I'm willing to pay for my son to take your 10-week course. And I said, well, first, tell me about your relationship with your son How many times have you enabled him to go back to his addiction? How many times have you set really strong boundaries with consequences? And the answer was she has never set a strong boundary with a consequence. She has put him through multiple treatment centers, multiple different counselors. And so I said to her, this is what I'd recommend. I will work with him one time. I will ask you to pay for one session only because of your track record. Then if he makes the first appointment, I will say, we'll do one more. But the first time he misses an appointment, you will still pay me, but I will not work with him again. Right. And so she she said, then what do I do? I said, if I'm you, I'm cutting off all financial resources, and I'm telling him, this is your final shot. If you do the work with David, I'll continue to support and work with you. But if you don't do the work, because you have to understand, here's something I'm going to back up for a second, Lori one of the greatest tools that any addict food alcohol nicotine drugs sex gambling every addict is the our powerful manipulators right i am speaking out of experience as you know for mm-hmm. 30 years i was a raging alcoholic and cocaine addict doing the work i'm doing right now and there's no one that can out manipulate an addict, except for another addict or a counselor <laughs> who has also recovered.
0: Oh, you must be tough to work with.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what is? is? I'm, I'm really honest. And yeah. so I said to this young man, I said, hey, I'm going to tell you if you're I don't know if your mom gave you the story, but I'm going to give you the story. Here are the rules. You, you You call me on time. If you're late, you're gone. You do the homework. If you don't do the homework, you're gone. Now, I'm tougher with people like this, Lori, because he's already jacked the system. Right. He's already used his mom for years. Right. And, and because of his lack of responsibility, I will be fair and honest, but I'll be tough. You
0: if, have if to be. A,
1: yeah. If this was a guy that this was his first attempt at recovery, I would be gentler. But I don't play around with people like this guy. So what did he do? He showed up the first one. Of course, just like all addicts, he said the right words. Oh, on this time, I'm serious. I'll do whatever it takes, blah, blah, blah. The second set, now I never got his homework. And the second week, the very next week, he never called. Right. Now his mom contacted me and said, I, You know what? I, I think my son forgot his appointment.
0: Nope. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I said, I go, Mom, now you're enabling. Yeah. You're actually making excuses for a 35-year-old man. If he can't keep track of an appointment, that's not your problem. It's not my problem. And I said your only option, if you want the truth, is to let him go.
0: Right. And that's a, you know, those are the consequences. They're painful for the person to do. For the yeah. the let's say the codependent or the enabler or however you want to call them, uh, because it's it's out of love, right? They see themselves as, but I love this partner. My partner is sick, uh, so how can I how can I not right but but there has to be like this is the only way is to have those consequences
1: oh it's anything short of it is a waste and when i hear parents say to me well you don't understand my daughter has a disease of alcoholism it drives me crazy hmm. and i say no a disease is muscular dystrophy a disease is cancer Your daughter is choosing to be an alcoholic. Your son is choosing to be an addict. Now, that doesn't mean I don't have compassion. I do. But I also know what the truth is. You know, when when anyone would say to me in my years of addiction, hey, do you think you're maybe overdoing it? They would be out of my life. Yeah. There's no one that's going to challenge an addict on a regular basis or an alcoholic we will find ways to lie. We'll find ways to escape and leave the relationship. We'll, we'll do anything in order to get our needs met.
0: Right. Right. You know,
1: and gosh, there was, a you know, a, a two years ago, this is a real sad story, and, uh, and this is the ultimate in codependency and enabling. Um, a mom called me, and again, I get a lot of calls from moms about their son. And her, her 24-year-old son, also an alcoholic and an opiate addict, had been living at home. He flunked out of college. Well, he didn't flunk out of college. He drugged and didn't
0: drank. Didn't go. And yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, um, and up to the point when she called me, he had stolen $300,000 from his mom and dad. Wow. Okay. And and I said to her when she called me, I said, $300,000. She said, yeah, that's what he's taken. And, you know, we've done everything. We've got a safe in the house. And he broke into the safe and blah, blah. And And I just said, Mom, I got to be honest with you you're allowing him to live at home for free and he's 25 years of age <laughs> and he stole $300,000 from you guys. When are you going to set a boundary with a consequence? Wow. Now, and let me repeat this for our listeners, Lori, a boundary is if you do that again, X is going to happen.
0: And make sure it happens. We're going to talk, continue to talk about boundaries and consequences when we are dealing with a partner, a child, a relative who is um, an addict. So, how do we cope? with ad- addiction when we're on the other side when we're not the addict this, this is really valuable information about codependency boundaries and consequences would love to hear your thoughts as well at 514-800 if you've had to deal with this what are what have been some of your consequences or boundaries that you've had to put out there we'll continue that discussion with David Essel best-selling author uh and uh life master life coach the following program contains mature subject matter Listener discretion is advised. From the pleasure and the politics to the hang-ups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Discussing addictions tonight with me is David Essel. He's a best-selling author. He's a counselor, master life coach, uh, helps with all kinds of different addictions. You can find him at talkdavid.com. David, somebody writes here, and you might have a little bit of explaining to do. Um, Who is this guy you have on? Alcoholism is a choice with lots of question marks. Total ignorance. So you might want to explain what you mean by that. Right. Say say that again, Lloyd. So the person wrote, alcoholism is a choice, total ignorance, because you you had said that addictions are choices.
1: Oh, you know, bless their hearts, whoever they are. Um, You know, it it is a choice. Uh, There is no genetic link that, now I'm going to make this very clear so we all understand. There's no genetic link to the cause of alcoholism, there is a genetic link to the cause of muscular dystrophy. There's a genetic link to the cause of multiple sclerosis, but there's no genetic link to the cause. The key word here is cause. Okay. How how we start drinking is called a choice. If you have the gene, which we have in our family and I have in my body, if you have the gene for alcoholism, you make a choice to have a drink. You make a choice to have drink number two. If the gene is activated after two or three drinks, That's where we say we have an issue because the craving for that substance will increase. However, let me go back to the most important point here, Laurie. There is no gene that pulls you off the side of the road into a bar. Hmm. There's no gene that pulls you into a store to buy a bottle of vodka. That is called a choice. If you start to drink and you have the genetic, the genome it's called, it can be turned on, and you can have a very difficult time stopping, as I have proven myself and the thousands of people we've gotten sober in 30 years. But there's, there's a lot of misnomers, and it's not a disease. You know, and this is what we say to people. How do you differentiate what is a disease and what isn't a disease? And, and we can say it very easily. If alcoholism was a genetic disease, if it was caused by genetics, the only cure could be something medically related, surgery, gene therapy, medication, but there's none of that necessary. Millions of people get sober by choice every year. Right. To do the, to to do the work with someone like myself. Rarely do we do it on our own, but you know, and I know a lot of people still buy into the misnomer that it's caused by your and it's a disease and it's not your fault and all that's a bunch of crap. I'm I'm sitting on the phone with you from Florida to Canada telling you that I got clean by choosing not to drink and asking professionals to guide me to my sobriety. That right. was your so
0: And that's a choice. Again, it becomes a choice. So what I'm getting from all this is, yes, you can be predisposed. You can be predisposed to obesity. You can be predisposed to uh, alcoholism. But that predisposition doesn't mean you inevitably end up... Obese or uh, alcoholic or what have you, and it, in the same vein, you also make the choice to help yourself.
1: Very well put, Lori. You know, whenever, whenever I, I, as a matter of fact, in our book Focus, we write about a guy that was an opiate addict and alcoholic for thirty years. His wife gave up on him. He gave up on himself, and he called me one day and said, "Hey, I'm just getting off of Suboxin. Suboxin is a medication that." A lot of people who are opiate addicts, heroin, Oxycontin, Roxycodone, Vicodin, all these opiate addicts, they will go on Suboxone, hopefully for no more than six months, and wean off of Suboxone Mm -hmm. to get all these drugs out of their system. So this guy called me and he said, I don't think there's any hope. My wife said if I go out again, she's going to divorce me. I saw your online, you have a course on holistic addiction recovery, and I think I'm just going to do 10 weeks and let's see what happens. I said, what do you, what do you think your success rate of, uh, what do you think the chances of success are? He goes, 10%. I've been through more treatment than you can imagine, more treatment centers. I said, come on in. We worked together for 10 weeks. That was two years ago. He was sober after 10 weeks, totally clean at the end of the year, totally clean now. And he, when, whenever I talk to him today, I'll get emails from Laurie. He'll say, I never thought I could do this without some kind of medical help. But right. there is medical help for, like, uh, opiate addiction. We have Suboxone. We have a couple other drugs to help minimize the cravings. But for most of us, it really is getting with an honest, powerful program with someone who can teach you the ropes. There's no medication necessary. Right. And there's and- no med- there's no medication available that's going to stop an addiction.
0: Exactly. As this one texter writes, uh, I, I always wish there was a cure uh, for alco- alcoholism like a pill. Uh, wouldn't yes. that be great? Uh, and yeah. then another texter writes, and I think this is why you are successful with the people you work with, is I really like your guests' no-nonsense attitude and approach. And I think it, it it's what's needed is a, like reality checks and shake-ups a little bit, Right. Yeah,
1: Lori. A lot of us we get we, we baby ourselves. We come up with excuses that we can't get clean because we have the gene. We, you know, our our loved ones come up with excuses and cover for us. Oh my God! There was a a, a couple that came and they wanted to work with me, and um and their son was a raging alcoholic and he he was in a form of the uh, of the services, the armed services, mm-hmm. and and his father when he had a report for duty, he was so hungover. His father called this guy's general and made up a lie about how his son had food poisoning and he wasn't going to be able to report for another day.
0: Right. Well, <laughs> that's that's the part of the boundaries, right? And this is where we, we talk about uh, enabling. And I want to talk a little bit more about the kinds of boundaries, like if we um, – Actually, somebody just uh, re, uh, champex, you know, the for for cigarettes, sure. right? That's a medical thing that can reduce the craving. So like you were talking about, there's certain things that that certainly can do. But I want to talk about boundaries. Uh, a texter writes, the important thing about making a threat, which I, I think is a boundary rather than a threat uh, or a consequence, is to carry it through, of course. But what's more important is that the threat that you make, you have to be willing to carry it through. And that's like, You know, that's the ABCs of parenting, but also works uh, with partners and uh, adult children.
1: You know, when we look at addicts of any age or alcoholics of any age, they are like children. They're emotionally arrested. Um, Whenever you start an addiction, if you started, I started at 12. If you started at 12, 18, 20, 30, there is a very strong belief that at that moment, we do not continue to grow emotionally we don't mature emotionally as someone who was not an addict or an alcoholic and Mm -hmm. it's really true why is that well addictions create the most powerful sense of self-centeredness and entitlement that you could ever believe which is one of the reasons why it's so hard to heal
0: and so hard to be with and so hard for partners to be with Oh my god, Lori, you know, can
1: you, you you can imagine when you're with someone and you love them so much and they're killing themselves, they're killing the relationship, they're robbing the, the relationship, the family of time, money and more? Holy cow. Like this is really serious stuff. And when we talk about boundaries and consequences and what your the texter said is 100% true, you when you have a consequence and if you don't pull it you have just lost 100% respect from that person you're quote-unquote trying to help. The minute you back up, they won, and they will continue to push you in a corner until you either give up and let them do what they want to do, or you give them the money they want or the, the, the alcohol or the food you want. they want. You, you cannot mess with this. Now, I mentioned earlier, and, and I'm glad they see that I am no-nonsense, because I am no-nonsense. However... First-time addicts, first-time alcoholics that work with me, I will do more Mm hand-holding. And I'll say to them, okay, you're going to work with me. We're going to get you clean and sober. I don't have any doubt about this, and this is what I need from you. Over the next seven days, I need you to go to these videos and watch them. I need you to go to this program. I need you to get this book, and I need this homework done in seven days. Right. If someone comes in and they say, I, I'm so embarrassed to tell you this. I wasn't going to drink on Sunday. I did. I drank all day. I felt like crap on Monday. I won't stop working with them, Lori, as long as they've done the homework.
0: Right. David, I want to take, uh, we have to go to traffic, but uh, coming up, we have a, a very interesting question from a, a, an older gentleman about his aging mother and some relative that is, sponging off of her and talking about boundaries and consequences. So we'll, uh, we'll answer that with, uh, David Essel. Passion with Dr. Lori Batido on CJAD 800. Talking about addictions, talking about boundaries and consequences. This text writes interested, interesting about the arrested development. I can attest to the fact, to that fact, from personally having experienced a relationship with several alcoholics. Uh, joining me is uh, David Essel. He's the best-selling author of Positive Thinking Will Never Change Your Life. He's a counselor, a master life coach. He can be found at Talk David. Uh, So here's a situation a woman writes in says my 62 year old brother has lived with uh, my now 85 year old mother all his life, not merely loafing off of her without contributing neither financially nor physically, but verbally abusing her on a regular basis as well. And despite my exhausting efforts to bring the reality of the situation to her attention, namely that she is enabling the issue by perpetuating their apparent toxic and codependent relationship, she's in complete denial about the abuse, yet simultaneously constantly complains to me about his recurring aggressive, arrogant, bullying, and narcissistic abusive behavior without ever listening to my advice nor implementing the necessary solutions I offer her. I'm at my wit's end here. Any suggestions? Wow, how difficult is that for somebody on the sidelines looking in, and it's your own mother?
1: Oh, it, it, this is, and this is where I would recommend that she try to become the executor of her mom's estate. If she can become the, the medical overseer or the executor of her, her estate, she can have some legal rights. Uh, the other thing is, and I, and I know this is manipulative, but I do agree with manipulation when it's necessary, mm-hmm. is that uh, I, if I was the, the daughter, I'd go over with her phone on uh, record and I would get any kind of statements from her mom, even if her mom doesn't know it, if the brother is there and he starts challenging her. I, I would try to get some evidence. You know, it, it, it turns into a pissing contest mm-hmm. if you don't have uh, evidence. So she's going to need some kind of hard evidence to go legally now and try to get the right to protect her mom. But if I was in her situation, Lori, I'd be doing that ASAP.
0: So you would take the legal route. You would find some way if she mom can protect herself, you would yeah. step in.
1: In a heartbeat, because and you know, contact attorneys, you know, and ask about the situation that you, you know you shared with Lori and I, and um, and get some legal help because this is some this I I couldn't sit on the sideline and allow that to happen, yeah. um, And I hope that the whoever texted in won't sit anymore either.
0: Right. I know it's, it's, uh, you almost feel so powerless in a situation like that, but uh, it's good to know that there's some things you can do. So if we, now let's uh, turn our attention for a bit to uh, sex addiction in terms of boundaries again, and consequences, like what boundaries would you want the spouse to set for uh, the sex addict? Yeah, this is...
1: This is a big one. Well, first of all, we have to figure out, you know, where where is their outlet? Is it pornography? Is it right. uh, phone sex? Is it going to massage parlors? Is it you know going uh, escorts? Uh, is it online sex dating? Like, wh- wh- what is the sex uh, addiction? How is this person acting out? And then what I would do is I would get them to commit to working with a professional. Number one, yeah, like there's no one, Lori, that that very I should say no one. There's very few people in this world that heal their own addictions. My God, I'm a counselor. I Mm -hmm. couldn't heal mine. That tells you how difficult it is. Uh, And and what I would recommend is that she or he finds out where their partner is getting their active addiction met, their needs met. I would then get them to agree for 90 days to remove, is it the porn, is it the the escorts, is it the what, the strip clubs, whatever they're doing. I would say, this is what I need. I need an agreement in writing that for the next 90 days, you'll attend X amount of sessions with a counselor, that you will remove the, the sexual materials, the pornography or whatever the activity is you're doing to get your sexual needs met. And at the end of 90 days, if you carry through with this, we can continue on with this relationship. If at the end of 90 days, you don't go to the counselor and you go back to your active addiction, We will separate if we're married. When we separate, we will live in separate residences, and I will hold you accountable to the same. And and if you still don't choose your addiction over me, we will divorce.
0: Right. So you have to be that clear.
1: Yeah, you do. And it has to be in writing. You know. Now, I will tell you, there are some people, like I had a couple come in. The woman is the enabler, her husband of 30 years, a raging alcoholic. And while he was sitting in front of me, he said, sure, I'm serious. I want to save my relationship with my wife. And I said, okay, when I meet with your wife next, I'm going to encourage her to, to, to write up a contract that you'll sign that you will remove all alcohol. They had two little children, too, that were suffering dramatically. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, sure. The day came in, they both came in with the contract, and he looked at her, and he started laughing as hard as he could, and he said, I fooled you. I'll never give up alcohol and you'll never divorce me. And he walked out of the office.
0: Right. So, so he's learned that uh, the partner partners probably made all kinds of threats over the years and it's never happened. Some other things I want to bring up too, David, is I, the spouse can also insist, of course, on, uh, on couples therapy, on full disclosure. And I've had spouses insist on um, getting a polygraph test done to make sure they get the whole story because, you know, of course you talk about manipulation, they often don't, it's like we call it trickle truth, right? You get little bits here and there until like you're caught and then you divulge a little bit more. And I've had the situation where the partner has said, no way I'm not taking a polygraph test. So that should tell you something right there. So there should be a consequence to that
1: well you, you know the, the you're hundred percent right and and the, the, I'm laughing because I'm thinking of several cases where I've worked with people and the woman will look at me and she'll go well what should I do and I said well I don't know what you should do but if I was in your situation and this guy sitting next to me was treating me like that I would be filing for divorce right and and I'm serious you know if if you're with a partner who refuses to do anything to heal their addiction and you're staying that says that your addiction of codependency is as deep as their addiction to their substance or behavior.
0: I think that's a a very powerful statement right there. And people often don't Quite see that. But, and uh, of course, in working with therapists, a therapist will be able to identify that and work with the codependent or the enabler, and so that you can take some of that responsibility and learn how to set those boundaries and learn what those boundaries are, uh, and then come up with some consequences and they can help you s- stick them through. So I, I got a, the, a text back from that woman and wants to know. If uh, they could maybe contact you because there's a whole more, many more complicated details to this toxic relationship. So, in fact, where can people find you, David? If they, uh, I imagine you do help people remotely too, right?
1: Oh, got Lori, Seventy-five percent of our clients from are from all over the world. Only twenty-five okay. percent are in my office. Skype and phone. Listen, if if all of your listeners, especially the one that that texted back about the legal stuff go to my website, talkdavid.com, and there's a form you can fill out to get a free 20-minute session with me on the phone.
0: Good. Okay. So
1: if you go to talkdavid.com, it's right at the top. You'll see my picture. You'll see my video. You'll see a little form that says work one-on-one with David for free. If you are, you know, in the world of codependency, in other words, you're not the person with the substance or behavior addiction, then contact me. Because you need as much help as the addict. If you're the alcoholic or the drug or a food addict, contact me. We work on both sides of the fence. We want to heal the family. We want to heal the unit. And in order to do that, both sides, not just the alcoholic's problem, it's also the person who's with the alcoholic that is probably codependent, Lori.
0: Absolutely, And, and needs help. David, as usual, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being available and for sharing your knowledge with us. So appreciated.
1: Oh, love being with you, Lori. You guys have a great night.
0: Thanks, David. David Essel, talk, David. Dot com if you want to get more information about him. That's it for me. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in and spending your precious time with us. Thanks to our technical producer, Brian Kalisar. Uh, you can connect with me on social media at Dr. batito or through my website, drlori.com. Don't forget, you can always send in your emails anytime to Laurie at DrLaurie.com. Coming up next here on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion.